Hello, thank you so much for coming to this video today. I really appreciate it. This is my Cardano Aura podcast. I bring anybody on that is bringing value to the Cardano ecosystem. And lately, it's been people building protocols, you know, with the Lonzo's about to roll out. So I really had a good time with this podcast. It was with DC from Liquid Finance. And he always teaches me so much about liquidity pools and DeFi and, you know, where the space is going in general. I think you'll really enjoy this one. So make sure you stay till the end. There's some good juicy bits in there. There may be some stuff that you already know, but I had to keep it, you know, for people that are new and both for people that, you know, have been here for a little bit. But there's stuff in there for everyone. If you guys want to support this channel, the easiest way you can do that is just by liking this video commenting down below and subscribing if you haven't already. There's also a notification bell so you don't miss any of these podcasts. I'm going to be uploading one of these every single Wednesday with maybe an extra one here and there in between. Um, also, if you want to support the channel, you can stake to my stake pool Bloom. We have Bloom through Bloom 6. Bloom actually minted the eighth ever block on top of the Cardano blockchain. So we've been here from the beginning. We'll be here till your end. I've also been working on a gallery. It's called Mycelial Gallery. And we're actually going to be giving away a real-life print of Ada Lovelace. And this print was actually designed by an artist that's the co-founder of the gallery. Uh, his name's Project. But all you have to do is you have to go down below to the first link. You want to retweet that. You want to like it. And then you want to follow the Mycelial Gallery account. And here is you know, the image of that. And you guys will actually get that real-life print delivered to your door if you win that giveaway we're going to be doing one of these every single day every single weekday we're going to be giving away a new print we're going to be releasing all the new characters in our gallery so if you guys are interested in that feel free to do that but we're going to go ahead and jump into the podcast hello thank you guys for clicking on this podcast today today i have dc from liquid finance and i'm really excited to have him on again you know we did a podcast five months ago but in cardano time it seems like forever uh, and last time that he was on, he provided me a lot of insights on liquidity pools and, and DeFi, DeFi on Cardano in, in ways that, you know, I couldn't have found those insights on my own. So I'm very excited to have him on again today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Big Pay. Appreciate it. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's no problem. You know, in, in those five months, I want to say our users has probably doubled or tripled. So a lot of the people, you know, watching this may not have seen the first interview and, you know, may not really understand you know, DeFi or how it works or how to even interact with it. So, you know, what is Liquid Finance and what are you guys doing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Liquid is a decentralized money market protocol being built on Cardano's Plutus extended UTXO uh, framework. Um, so by a liquidity protocol, we're allowing borrowers and essentially savers and lenders to meet um, and trade interest rate curves, essentially. So if I'm a supplier and I want to earn some yield on my otherwise, you know, idle assets, whether it's a stable coin, whether it's ADA or some other token, uh, I can use the liquid platform to essentially tokenize my balance, uh, mint a token that represents that balance plus the interest that it's accruing and allow my tokens that I've supplied to be borrowed by other users who are also collateralizing a position and then borrowing tokens from the protocol. Um, so the yield that I earn as a supplier is driven from how much borrower interest is repaid in that market that I've supplied to. Okay, so what does that look like from, you know, the user perspective? And, you know, is this yeah. something that a lot of user, users are going to participate in or really people that, you know, understand complex things that, you know, want to earn this? Or is this something general that everyone can participate in? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I want it to be as general and as straightforward a process as possible. You know, we get questions a lot of how does your, you know, documentation, how is that going to work? What's the actual workflow as a user for connecting my wallet to this DAP? Um, this should be as simple a process as staking, except you're using an actual DeFi protocol, a liquidity 
pool in this case to actually supply your assets to your wallet instead of delegate them to a staking pool. But the actual like one, two, three uh, process step for the end user um, should be very you know familiar and similar to the staking process. Um, essentially, you have some assets in your wallet, whether it's uh, you know a Cardano native asset like ADA, or whether it's some other native asset that gets minted on the blockchain. Um, let's take a stablecoin or AGIX, for example. You want to earn yield on those tokens instead of just having them, you know, sit in your wallets. Um, basically, you connect your wallet to that specific market and liquid AGIX, the stablecoin, whatever other market you have tokens for that you'd like to, you know, earn yield on them. Um, you deposit those tokens into that market, and in doing so, that same transaction, you mint another token in our system. We, they're yield tokens, right? They're the equivalent of going to a DEX, providing liquidity, and minting their LP tokens. In Liquid, we call those Q tokens. Um, users can then hold those tokens in their wallets, and they're automatically earning yield. Every single block, as borrower interest is accruing to the protocol, the actual exchange rate between their Q tokens and the underlying asset that they've supplied is always increasing. And that's representative of the time value of money, essentially. Um, and that can you know, increase at a faster slope or a lower slope, depending on how much borrower interest is actually being repaid in that market. Um, and that's essentially how um, users can continuously and constantly earn interest on their you know, supplied balance, essentially. Yeah. Um, now, so, users so real, on this side, quick, yeah, go let's, ahead, um, please. Let's break that down. So sure. an average user, you know, they're going to log into your website and, you know, the average user knows how to stake and they do that through your your ROI. But they're going to go to liquid.finance, and that's your website. And then from there, you're going to be able to connect your wallet. And if you've used you know, Ethereum before, it's going to be MetaMask style, where it's in the bottom right-hand corner. It's going to come down. And then you're going to be able to like essentially pick a pool, right? Correct. Yeah, and then, exactly. And then once you pick the pool, it's going to give you a little notification to interact with the ROI or whatever wallet. Because I think you know there's going to be multiple wallets in the future that are using the MetaMask style. So whatever wallet you're using... And then you're going to connect your ledger and you're going to say, yes, I, I approve this smart contract. And then you're going to provide, you know, your ADA or your AGIX or whatever it may be to this liquidity pool. And it's important for Cardano users to know the difference because on Ethereum, people say staking, right? But on Cardano, when you provide liquidity, you are giving up, you know, your ADA to this smart contract, correct? That's correct. Yeah, you're... you're ADA or your other Cardano native asset or token is leaving your wallets and entering that liquidity pool. I think what they mean um, in Ethereum DeFi when they say that staking, they mean those LP tokens that you mint. So in our case, Q tokens, but if this was a swap, it would be those LP tokens when you provide liquidity. You can stake those sometimes in a DeFi protocol and earn the governance token that way, actually. And Liquid has a kind of similar mechanism for how we plan on distributing the LQ and how that function works. Um, but I think that's the concept. But again, you're right. It's a different connotation of staking because even then, it's not staking like in Cardano where you maintain full control of your ADA and you're, it's still sitting in your wallet, but you're just delegating. This is truly like a staking contract that gets deployed to the blockchain that you send your LP tokens to. They're, they're held in that contract and, you know, every you know, range every epoch or amount of days, essentially, you earn those governance tokens from that protocol. So that's yeah. that's kind of how they mean staking in ETH DeFi. Okay, so then after, you know, you provide your ADA or whatever tokens you're providing to these pools, you're given a Q token in return. And that Q token is just a, a token representation of the liquidity that you've provided to the pool. And then that's what's paid interest. And is that interest paid in the 
you know, currency that you provided to the pool, or is that interest paid in those Q tokens that you're getting from providing to the pool in the first place? Right. So actually it's, it's in the underlying asset, right? And how this works, there's an exchange rate between the Q token and the underlying asset at the initiation of a market, that exchange rate starts at, let's say 0.2 or 0.1. It's an arbitrary number. Um, but what happens as time goes on and as borrower interest is repaid, the exchange rate is constantly increasing. So the user who actually mints Q tokens isn't ever getting more Q tokens. It's simply the exchange rate between the time they minted and you know time T plus one or T plus N into the future, they come back and the exchange rate has increased so much compared to the underlying that they can now redeem more of the underlying than what they initially supplied. Um, so in that way, you're actually earning more of the underlying asset by just holding your Q tokens and having borrower interest be repaid in that market over time. So obviously, yes, you know, it's a, it's a function of time here. So the longer you hold those Q tokens, the more interest that you will accrue and compound essentially to your, uh, to your underlying asset. So when you come back at, you know, time T plus and in the future, um, you've received much more rewards than if you did just like a single epoch later, for example. Um, and by rewards, I mean, interest repaid to that market. That's interesting. So, you know, the value of these Q tokens appreciate the longer that you have that in there. Um, where is that value held? Is that value held in the smart contract? Like yes. it is? Yes. So then, yes. So that, yes. So there's a Q token smart contract for each market. It controls every single end user function. So when I mint, when I come back to redeem, when I come back to, when I borrow an asset, when I repay the borrow, or when I liquidate, when I do any of those kind of key five user functions in the system, it's all controlled by this Q token smart contract. There's a validator scripts. There's a, you know, a controller script that just serves as kind of like a simulation layer on, on top of that Q token smart contract. But yes, that is essentially where the exchange rate is increasing and the amounts being repaid are kind of held in the system essentially that's where all the back-end accounting for each of the different q token markets is being done it's it's within the actual contract okay that's very that's interesting. all on chain code yeah yeah and that makes a lot more sense to me now and you answered this a little bit but you know what is q ada is that yes. what you get in return for providing ada to the okay okay so i Correct. saw you mentioned so, that on yes. twitter yeah, so Q tokens is just like the general name. If we were in Aave, it would be called A tokens. In Yearn, they call them Y tokens. Essentially, all they are is they're liquidity provider tokens, right? Mm -hmm. They're, in this case, yield tokens, but they're saying, okay, you know, user has provided token X, and because they've done so, we're going to mint one for one the amount that they provided in terms of what's the current value of, you know, these Q tokens. That user now holds these, and as the borrower interest is repaid, the actual exchange rate for that Q token is constantly going up. So the actual price of that Q token is increasing compared to the underlying asset over time. Um, but yeah, that's um, QADA is just the name for the ADA market. It would be QAGIX for that one, you know, and so forth. Yeah. So uh, what are the risks that, that come with providing liquidity to these pools? Yeah, there's a few risks. Um, I think the main one for a supplier is uh, simply a liquidity crunch um, event happening. Um, in terms of the utilization of each of these markets. So the way this all works is these systems are based on supply and demand and an algorithm that is adjusting each block, the actual supply rate that gets paid out to the lenders and the borrower rate that's accruing for each borrower based on how much supply exists in that market compared to how much borrower demand 
um, is currently existing. And that those two functions, those two kind of variables come together to make what we call market utilization. So as your market utilization gets closer to 100, that essentially means all of the supplied capital in that market is being borrowed. So your demand is massive. You know, your interest rates are very high at that point. You're basically on the far right side of the interest rate curve. Um, where you'd want to be is somewhere kind of in the middle where you have sufficient supply, you have borrowed demand, but you're not peaking up to the kind of top right side of your um, utilization curve, um, meaning that you have enough liquidity for your suppliers to actually exit the market. Um, what you see right now in Aave and some of these other lending protocols, um, sometimes they have so much borrowing demand in their system that there's not enough liquidity for the suppliers who have minted in their system A tokens to actually redeem their underlying asset when they're ready to leave the market, right? And they've collected their interest, they've been there for some time. Um, and that that's an issue because so much borrowing outstanding loans exists that either haven't been repaid or are accruing interest, you know, by the block, but are still outstanding. That's depending on how much of, you know, a die, for example, that you want to take out of the market, there may not even be enough liquidity on the supply side to do that. And we have a couple, you know, mitigations to that type of risk. Um, there's uh, a reserve factor that we have in each of these markets. So essentially, a part of the borrower interest that gets repaid is held by that same Q token smart contract and essentially only held on the supply side. So these tokens cannot be borrowed at all. And there are Q tokens that are only held on the supply side for this same exact situation where lenders come along, they want to redeem their underlying asset. Now we have some liquidity buffer that we've built up as a result of this market reserve that they can use to quickly exit the market when they, when they need to. And in those cases when demand might be peaking up close to that um, you know, top 80%. There's also um, a kink point in our, in our basically our market formula and our interest rate curve uh, kind of function, the way it operates is at 80% utilization of the market, um, a different slope kicks into the actual formula so that instead of um, a very steady kind of uh, smooth slope, what happens at 80% utilization, because at this point we need to really incentivize repayment of loans as well as new supply to enter that market because we're pushing up on close to 100% utilization, the actual slope uh, gets very vertical and actually starts to increase um, pretty aggressively um, to incentivize those users who have outstanding loans to repay and for new supply to come along because the interest rate that you're earning is so much higher now, um, you're incentivizing new users to supply to that market. So that's, that's in a nutshell kind of how we mitigate the liquidity risk that exists, um, but it's definitely a very real one. It's definitely uh, you know one that users need to be fully understanding of the the kind of models that each of these different pools and the, the dynamics that are functioning behind them, because these things are kind of changing on the fly and each block, these things can change. So, the um, so we really need to for the borrowers up. change as well. Yes. Both okay. rates are floating rates and it's the algorithm. It's the interest rate formula that's deciding based on the outstanding supply in each block and the outstanding loans in each block, what the set, borrow rate and the set supply rate should be for the next block essentially yeah, yeah that makes um, sense there's also to have a linear curve you know up into an exponential right. curve to you know stop them. right mm -hmm. exactly and that that utilization is at 80 percent that's a configurable number that can change through governance but uh you know we feel that setting it around the 80 percent figure um gives us enough of a, a cushion before you get to that fully maxed out 100 percent utilization 
um, to incentivize all of the users in that market to either resupply, repay a loan, et cetera. There's also default risks, you know, when a user's, um, you know, outstanding borrower amount is underneath their collateral factor defined amount. So if I'm supplying to ADA, for example, and there's a 75% collateral factor, that means for every $100 I supply to the ADA market, I can borrow another token up to $75. Once my loan and that other token goes above $75, I've essentially exceeded my borrow limit, which is defined by that ADA collateral factor based on the 100 I supplied. Um, so now a portion of my loan can be liquidated because I have a bad loan in the system and that's bad debt for everyone who's supplied um, to that market, whatever asset I borrowed, right? Um, and the way the system works is actually, a, it's kind of a pooled automated liquidation strategy. Um, it essentially works to collect all of these outstanding loans that are now bad or unhealthy in the system, meaning their borrow limit has gone above their defined collateral factor, you know, borrow amount. Um, and as soon as that happens, the portion that's over their borrow limit can now be liquidated in the system. And someone can come along, repay that, the borrowed asset that was actually taken by that user, repay that loan, close out that part of their you know, bad debt, essentially. Um, the suppliers in that market are now made whole again. And that user who comes along and does that, we call them the liquidator, they seize that borrower user's collateral at a discount, part of it, representative of the amount that they repaid. So essentially, um, we're building a, a UI right now for the actual application that's going to function similar to what we're calling internally a liquidation DEX, um, but we're calling to end users and our documentation, we'll call it the liquidation pool. Essentially, I come along with some token that's been borrowed and defaulted on. I'm helping the protocol basically mitigate its default risk now by repaying part of that loan. And in doing so, I'm receiving the amount that I repaid at a 10% discount, swapping it essentially against what that user sees collateral was. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a trading strategy um, for, for really good arbitragers or traders who wanna basically earn this. All you have to do is really connect your wallet. You don't even have to be using Liquid as a borrower or lender. If you just have one of the assets that's been defaulted on, you can just use this UI in the app to basically select how much of the, you know, liquidatable amount you want to repay and then the you beneath how much you'll earn in terms of the CS collateral. You can click swap, kind of similar to a Uniswap, um, you know, UI and feel, and then be able to kind of use the liquidation decks as a method to just always earn 10% of a trading strategy, especially if you're a trader or arbitrager who holds a lot of some tokens and you want to kind of slowly unload them. This is a nice way to kind of do that and kind of compound and earn, um, you know, a premium for doing that and securing the system. So, yeah, that's how we're securing a default risk. The other one I think of that's major is protocol security risk, right? That's just saying how secure are your smart contracts? How secure is the setup and the system within it? Um, you know, the, the actual structure and the data structure that's defining the interest rate model, um, how robust and secure are these things essentially um, in volatile moments and normal moments? How do these things function? How simulated are they? Um, this is why we hired, you know, Tweed. This is why we're working so closely with them. Was on a call yesterday with Manuel Chakravarti and, just some of the insights he's giving us in terms of, you know, certain things we need to test for internally on when you have, you know, a validator script, making sure that it tests for uh, only specific outputs. Uh, Tweed is the company, they're a Haspa software development firm. Um, Manuel Chakravarti is um, a lead engineer at Tweed. He's worked with the Plutus and IOHK team for a while. He's, uh, I think he's, you know, attributed with being the lead architect of the Plutus platform. 
Um, so he's had massive contributions to, you know, smart contracts and Cardano and how this model is being implemented today, essentially. Yeah, that's um, definitely and, yeah, the guy just, to ask, you know. You know, certainly. We're also working with Welltype. Um, we're doing continuous advisory and code review sessions with them and working specifically with Duncan Coots and asking him a ton of questions around, you know, Plutus and staking and how our, you know, state manager prototype concept needs to work for scaling our UTXO instances, like all these things that are kind of um, allowing us to operate at scale in production on day one. Um, you know, we're trying to reach out to the most, you know, talented lead engineers and, and kind of high level devs at Cardano um, working on this project specifically with Plutus to kind of tap into. And yeah, Manuel Chakravarti and Duncan Coots are up there with the best. So yeah, we're very lucky and grateful to kind of have them to uh, to be able to, you know, plug into and ask questions. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I was curious about, you know, you're going to have all of this ADA in these pools. And I was watching someone that actually helped develop Plutus as well. And they said that in Plutus, you're going to have the ability to delegate the ADA in a smart contract to pools. So I was curious on how, like, what you guys are going to do about that, right? Because you're building a decentralized protocol, right? And it would be kind of centralized to have, you know, LQ pools because there's a centralized source running those pools. So, like, how are you guys, you know, you have to obviously delegate the ADA to get at least that minimum 5%, to, you know, to give more for people that provide liquidity. So I'm curious on, you know, what you guys think about that. Yeah. Um, so just right off the bat, we have no interest in running like staking pools or anything like that. Like that's, you know, for you, Big Pay and the rest of the awesome Cardano stake pool operator community. And, you know, our CTO Holger runs a, a small staking pool. So we, we know the process. We fully understand what it's like to run the Cardano node. But that's not what liquid and liquidity pools for us are all about. Um, because we already have that infrastructure built out with all the awesome stake pool operators who run single and, you know, some who run many and have a full business um, kind of running pools. So, yeah, that's that's just to set the stage. We, we do not plan on um, now or even in the future having to ever do that in our model or system. Um, but yeah, the way I wasn't saying is... there was any negative, anything negative or positive about that. I was just curious sure. because yeah, yeah. you're really tackling this, you know, with the fair token offering. It just seems right. like every step of the way that you're tackling this from a, a decentralized, you know, protocol standpoint. So. Yeah, absolutely. Community led is like what's key to us and is essentially why we haven't even, you know, moved the tokens since they've been minted. Essentially, we're committed to only actually allowing the distribution event to begin once we have a product out there, once we have mainnet users all able to provide liquidity at the same time. But to answer your question directly, um, we're looking into basically allowing pointer addresses in Cardano and Plutus may allow users who enter into Liquid with a connected wallet already staked to some community pool to essentially, uh, and we talked about this in the last podcast, right? Sign a transaction body that would allow them um, essentially to continue staking with the community pool that they're in, even though they've actually sent their ADA to our QADA smart contract. Um, the way the pointer address scheme may work is the address where the rewards that that you know, smart contracts is going to delegate the ADA to, um, that reward address could be that of the users who entered the market initially, right, in that given whatever the community pool they came in with was. So that would be kind of the real hope and desire. Um, you know, we've talked about this extensively. That's really with the interesting. Devs. We have one dev who's focused only on just doing, you know, some research and looking into this, Plutus and staking and the full control we have right now. Um, 
Yeah, it's definitely something that's very key to have in our system. It makes using our system and being like a Cardano power user much simpler because it automates the process. Like you said, you want to be able to capture that base staking rate and then have the yields from a lending protocol like Liquid built on top of that. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're definitely keen on getting that in. It's it's uh it's crucial for Liquid and for Liquid USD. It's also very critical to have this type of feature, um, especially since ADA will be the only collateral type well, in it's, that system. It's really it's crucial for Cardano. You know, yeah. I'm not because if you think about it, you know, we're progressing towards this Absolutely. smart contract age. You know, so by right. your team, you know, kind of being the team that stands up and says, you know, we're not going to delegate these smart contracts to our own pools. We're going to have someone design a method that we're whoever is providing ADA to our smart contract. We're just going to delegate to the pool that they're already in that holds the decentralization of Cardano, even though people are participating in decentralized smart contracts. Yep, that's 100% the plan and, and the, the kind of strategy that we're moving forward with. If anything, I think uh, it would be a set of community stake pools that we allow the LQ token holders to kind of vote on and decide and select. So, you know, we choose maybe, you know, the top 50 state pools by performance and maybe we'll be include some threshold of okay these are you know charity pools who actually you know provide some amounts of their ADA profits to nonprofit organizations or things like that or whatever we define that like selection criteria to be um, we could use that to select you know 50 to 100 of the best that we decide is the best right state pool operators and delegate to only those pools um, but whatever way we decide to do that, I, I promise it will be a community-led decentralized process and it won't be one where Liquid is ever, you know, spinning up 10 state pools or something crazy like that to try to run it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, you know, to see someone, you know, integrate, like, the real-world business aspect with building a decentralized protocol. Like, it's just, it's, it's hard, man, and I commend you for that. So I was curious about, you know, you, you mentioned... Oracles, uh, before we started talking, oracles are key to this, right? Can you explain to me, you know, how you guys are, you know, building your own oracles? Because, you know, Hydra, I thought was, you know, kind of Cardano's data input. So how are people going to build these protocols without kind of like a, an on-chain, you know, data input? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, right now, we're, we're going through that whole process right now. Our devs are spending pretty much every day over the last couple of weeks, um, just exploring the Oracle process and working with how you can build an on-chain Oracle script that actually takes in uh, data from an API like a Coinbase or a Binance or a Kraken exchange for taking the price of ADA every few minutes that they sign with their public key and are able to kind of um, basically push that price into our on-chain contract um, using kind of the API connection that we build actually into the Oracle script. Um, definitely not simple process. You know, there's a lot of different parts of Plutus contracts that you need to get right to be able to do something like this. Um, we have a prototype and kind of the first version of this, you know, working. We're internally collecting a lot of feedback on this process and, you know, getting the price Oracle to a point where it is actually something that we can push into master and have an audit and, you know, have security testers come in and take a hard look at. Um, but yeah, right now we're figuring out some things with the datum and how that kind of value can work and be updated with regards to the actual price feed that's going to be pushed from these, uh, you know, APIs. But essentially it's a Plutus contract, um, a piece of on-chain code. And this script is essentially looking 
for every time that public key, and we know the public key because it will be the specific, you know, key that Binance or Coinbase or CoinGecko or one of these other kind of exchanges or price feed aggregators uses, um, the, con the contract is saying every time this market's updated with this, you know, take the average across all of the different API price fees that we're given, and then use that um, that that kind of average um, to kind of update the Oracle um, price for that specific market. There's also concepts like time-weighted average price. Um, you can do that to basically offset if price moves a certain percent up or down, and we can it's an arbitrary defined number, but let's say 1%, you can fall back on say the price from a DEX or you know maybe the price from 30 minutes or an hour ago to ensure that your market is not being manipulated, that you're not getting a manipulated Oracle price um, and that the system is secure from that way. So you see that a lot. There's also kind of volume weighted average price. So you can say, okay, the Binance ADA market is you know, 3X larger than the Coinbase ADA market. So the Binance price feed should have 3X the weight of the Coinbase one. Things like that are kind of what we're considering building into the function for how we're taking and kind of aggregating um, the price from all these different off-chain APIs essentially on chain. Um, yeah, we're we're in the early kind of mid stages of building out that Oracle contract. Like I said, we have the first part of it working. Um, the last part of it is kind of like the more tricky part in getting all these pieces to connect and update and work with the existing set of contracts the right way. Um, and if you can imagine like the Oracle system is kind of like the bedrock and really kind of connects to a lot of what we're doing in, yeah. in terms of liquid and determines not only the borrow amount but when a position can be liquidated, um, you know, the total collateral value at any given time for a user's account. So all of these things that are really determinant upon always having a robust kind of updated Oracle model. That's basically what we're spending the last few weeks on. And we'll continue the next couple of weeks to, to uh, you know, really build out and get right. Um, but I'm very optimistic that our devs will get it right. And we'll have something, you know, very secure and robust entering that audit in, you know, late July, early August timeframe. Yeah. So when Hydra comes out, you know, is yeah. that going to benefit your team? Or are you just kind of going to throw out all of these APIs that you've been writing to make this work now uh, when Hydra comes? Cause no, no. Hydra is huge. I mean, Hydra is a scaling solution. Hydra is saying, hey, we have layer two scaling and you can, it's isomorphic. So your smart contracts that you've built on, you know, layer one Plutus can just run in a Hydra node essentially, or, you know, a, a Hydra, you know, layer two kind of setup. Um, and basically, it's for your end user, your costs are going to be scaling, you know, significantly cheaper and lower because you're batching a bunch of transactions. It's not ledger based sharding, but it's 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 definitely a, a version of layer two sharding. Um, so, yeah, Hydra is, as a, you know, as a system to basically scale all of the contracts in Plutus and Cardano, that's that's going to be huge. And honestly, there might be like, you know, Wolfram Alpha might come out and just be a fantastic mechanism for oracles. Um, you know, Indigo, the synthetic assets protocol and team that I'm working with has a call set up with Wolfram, um, you know, in the coming weeks to talk about just how we're sourcing our prices and maybe some services that they can provide for that protocol. It's just a matter of when are, what are the timelines for implementing these things? And like, is this something that we want to just build ourselves or rely on, you know, IOHK or some other third party service and infrastructure to kind of get right for us? In the case of oracles for for liquid this is something that you know we feel we have the the resources the bandwidth internally to just build out ourselves so we're just taking that route um but yeah this this is by no means like the end all be all 
um, if a, another more robust, secure, and lower cost mechanism to do oracles comes along, we'll look to pivot as quickly as possible for that. And the way we're actually implementing the system, um, it's upgradable, right? It's all of these contracts that we have are upgradable through the DAO governance control mechanism, um, meaning that if we need to upgrade the Oracle contract or even the method for doing oracles or you know any other parameter in a smart contract or the entire contract itself, um, there's a process to to kind of quickly do that through the governance pro, uh, kind of pattern that we have. You mentioned um, on-chain and off-chain Plutus smart contracts. Can you yeah. you know tell us why you would need an off-chain Plutus smart contract and then on-chain kind of the benefits of, of both? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the easiest way to think of it is a single Plutus contract has part of its code that runs off-chain and part of its code that actually executes on the blockchain itself. Um, but the majority of that code, even in Ethereum DeFi protocols and you know Solidity contract code, most of it is off-chain code to be real. Um, the part of the code that's on-chain that you actually pay computation costs to execute um, and to kind of simulate on the blockchain, that is like the most critical smart contract logic that's like the piece that every single person or user needs to be able to verify before even using that contract for your, you know, DeFi or DAP protocol to be deemed, um, you know, just censorship resistant and just a really kind of fair, transparent system, right? That's like the critical logic of the service that your app is providing, essentially. So what but is a that lot critical of the, logic? Um, it could be in a DeFi protocol, settlement, escrow, it could be you know, custody like it is for Liquid when you're actually giving the smart contract custody of your ADA to then lend out to another user who's collateralized. It depends on what the actual protocol is doing, right? In Uniswap, yeah. I would say the service is, you know, just providing the guarantee that you're going to get the same swap rate as every other user in the system. Um, so that, that kind of key piece that the app is actually providing as its core service, the function behind that needs to validate on-chain. Everything else that kind of gets you towards that piece can be written in off-chain code. And the way Plutus is actually architected is to drive most of the contract code to be written in the off-chain. Um, and only the actual key pieces of on-chain code and like the actual um, kind of core components of your logic need to be written in on-chain Plutus code. And I was just having a call with our you know technical lead dev right before we hopped on and he mentioned that only you know seventy five percent or more of our code base is off chain Plutus code right now. So so then how is it very... how is it ran right? So we have this this off chain code. You know who is computing that and how does it interact with the code that's on chain like in a decentralized manner? So I mean a part of this is sorry all man. Just a lot of this stuff is new to me and it's just it's so interesting. You're you're good. Um, it's also compiling down to Plutus core. Like at the end of the day, like there's a piece of code that you're building to run in the off-chain and kind of the user's application interface, and they're connecting their wallet, and there's some user actions that are happening with the off-chain bit of code. But once they actually push an action and a transaction, that's going to trigger some event like minting a Q token or redeeming or borrowing. That's when they're actually interacting with the actual on-chain part of the Q token contract. Um, so that's all on-chain parts of the code. Um, we were querying actually before this, the total lines of code that we have for our code base. Um, it's it's probably pretty large at this point, only gonna grow in the coming months, but at the end of the day, all of the code off and on-chain is still compiling all down to the same place, which is Plutus Core. 
Um, it's essentially just saying you don't need to actually have all of the code and the cost of computation and expense and time to try to compile your entire applications, like source code essentially on chain would be ridiculous and like kind of way too complex um, to actually do. And what gets you decentralization and censorship resistance isn't even doing that. It's actually only having the key pieces that users must be able to validate and verify being the on-chain code. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my you know high-level non-developer kind of financial analyst background understanding of how the on-chain and off-chain code piece of this works. Um, but yeah, seventy-five percent plus of our code base is off-chain. No, that that was really helpful, and you know I'm not really a developer either, but you made it make sense for me, so I appreciate that, and I would like to see it, you know in yeah. in working you know just like a very basic model of you know a little bit of on chain a little bit of off chain just like look at the code myself to actually understand it um i was curious about you know what insights you can give people that you know don't have alonzo blue nodes up on you know what that process looks like on the inside because you know a yeah. year ago i was in the friends and family test net and um there was just this nice energy in the air where we were all so excited you know we had to get new nodes up all the time they were constant it was just like every week there'd be a new update. There'd be like, it was just constant. So I'm curious on, you know, your developers kind of story and what insights you've derived from that. Yeah, absolutely. And actually just to follow up, I'm reading the developers messages in Slack right now. Most of the on-chain code is actually in the validator script itself. Um, so yeah, it's, it's staggering how much of the actual Plutus code is just written in, um, you know, in the off-chain kind of code environment. But yeah, that's uh that's really interesting to see. And the validator script is something that is kind of like the risk simulator that Manuel Chakravarty was mentioning, like to check that all of the outputs in your contract are actually the correct and defined and only the specific outputs that that contract should be able to produce. It's your validator script that kind of checks that and ensures before that contract executes um, that those things are kind of, you know, sorted and um, that data structure is correct. Um, but yeah, so running Alonzo Blue Notes, uh, that's been great. Um, our CTO Holger, who also runs, you know, Cardano 24 stake pool. He's been involved in the running of Alonzo Blue. A shout out to Andrew Westberg. He's an amazing stake pool operator, runs Blue Cheese Steakhouse. And he actually brought Holger in as his plus one um, to be able to kind of get, you know, comfortable and used to running the Alonzo Blue nodes and any system upgrades or, you know, tweaks that need to be had. Holger has kind of had some time to kind of get up to speed and and, and doing that. Um, but yeah, the the right now kind of version of it feels much very similar like you just mentioned to the early days of the itn you have a small group of stake pool operators you have a small group of plutus partners and pioneers who are you know working very closely with the actual plutus delivery team and running an early version of the node and software um the functionality will scale and increase rapidly we already see the 2.0 version of alonzo blue um and right now we're at a point where Pretty soon, we'll be able to deploy like all of the contracts that we already have completed to date um, onto, uh, you know, semi-public version of the testnet. Whether that's in, you know, the Alonzo White or the next uh, color scheme after that, um, it seems like we're heading there pretty quickly since you know we already have upgraded to the 2.0 version of Alonzo Blue. Um, but yeah, our dev is is running it. Um, you know, M Labs is in the Plutus Partners program. So they're they're working on other you know DeFi related use cases and things with the Plutus team, and they're going to look to deploy those prototype DApps that they've worked on with these other Haskell firms, you know, as quickly as they can to you know the earliest version of the testnet that they get. You guys breaking a lot? 
breaking a lot, asking a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same <laughs> it's thing. Good, though. Same thing for me. Um, who would you consider your biggest competitor that is building on Cardano? That's a good question. Um, honestly, right now, <laughs> it's crazy to say this, but like our biggest competitor might not even be public yet. Like there, there's, there's teams that I, you know, I've talked to and I've spoken with, um, there's guys that are coming out with like very sophisticated solutions on Cardano that um, are going to touch into traditional Fi, like traditional finance in a very uh, tangible way. Um, I don't want to give too much away on them or even <laughs> give them any alpha. And I won't even say their name for now because I'm sure they'll come out public soon and you guys all hear about them. But yeah, there's protocols that are very legit that are building, you know, DeFi lending solutions solutions for trading options and other derivatives on Cardano, solutions for foreign exchange markets, other stablecoin protocols. The competition across DeFi is definitely heating up in Cardano. And you can tell it's like a lot of these teams have either been sorting out their backend kind of formulas and math um, for, for months now and are now just coming public with kind of the work that they've done to date. Um, and yeah, learning Plutus and Haskell for a seasoned Haskell dev um, or even a seasoned you know dev who knows multiple languages is not like, you know, the heaviest lift in the world, especially with like awesome courses from Lars and all the developer content being put out there right now for Plutus, that that kind of, um, you know, timeline, if you will, that learning curve is going to really start to get very much easier for a new dev to just step into Cardano and pick things up, as well as like the tools and the SDKs being built out for like JavaScript and Python and Rust devs. Um, that should help lower the learning curve and barrier a lot um, for, for entry for new Cardano Plutus devs. Yeah, and it's um, going to be yeah. easy, too, for teams just to pick up, you know, a bunch of Plutus pioneers here in a couple of months as well. 100%. There's going to be a whole market around it. We were talking about this before the call, right? If if Lars keeps crushing it and we get to, like, you know, over 10,000 Plutus pioneer devs trained up by him and, and co., like, that's going to be a real, like, you know, forced to be reckoned with in terms of having a developer moat. Everyone talks about Ethereum's developer moat. What happens when Cardano has, you know, 10 to 20,000 devs who have just learned Plutus online, really, and are now building everything from DeFi protocols to NFT marketplaces, you know, to decentralized storage solutions and more on the blockchain. Like that, to me, like that's quickly where we're heading. It's, it's, uh, it's just fascinating to kind of watch it all take off. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, you have a lot of knowledge, you know, on projects on Ethereum. That's what we spent really the uh, a good portion of our last podcast talking about. Um, there's a lot of new projects coming out on Cardano. And for people that are really just interested in Cardano, we don't have insights on, you know, how do we actually look at a project and see if that project is really going to provide value, if that project's really going to create something. Is there kind of like some red flags, you know, maybe that you could go over for my users that, if, if the project's doing this, if the project's doing this, then there's a high chance, you know, that they're not going to build something. They're not going to come to market because, you know, I get asked every day, you know, hey, can you look into this project for me? And, you know, I look into it. I give my thoughts and opinions, but I don't have a good history in the DeFi space to give people, you know, a good opinion. So what are those red flags? I mean, I think the main thing that really think about is that DeFi and these new protocols being built are just startups, right? I was reading an article from uh, actually Mark Cuban, and he had a pretty sage take on kind of how, you know, value in these different DeFi protocols should work and um, what that framework for like investors stepping in should look like. And you kind of ask a similar question here. I think it all comes down to like, who is the founder? What is the founding team? What is the core service that they want to provide? Like, 
um, you know, how saturated is that market? Like, is if, if I see another team that's just saying they're going to build, a, you know, a Uniswap like Dex and Cardano, I'm like, well, okay, we already have like, you know, 12 of those being built right now. Are they doing anything different? Is this just the same exact thing that we have now? If it's not, you know, what are those differentiators? What's like the key value proposition that they want to provide and bring to the table compared to what everyone else has? Also, it's just like if they're building on another blockchain and then like going to like make their way, I feel like I hear this a lot, like bridge their way to Cardano. It's just like, um, let's, let's maybe see you guys build and deploy on that blockchain first. Let's see it working in action there not just like an IDO or a token sale on Uniswap, but I'm saying like truly deploy a product, uh, you know, written and built in whether it's Rust, if you're deploying on, you know, blockchains that support it, like, you know, Solana or some of these other blockchains, if it's Solidity code on Ethereum, whatever it is, let's see that product, even if it's the Ergo DEX, right? Like let's see the actual DEX go live on your main blockchain. And then let's see the actual bridge mechanism to Cardano because like, building on Cardano and Plutus and our Haskell devs will hop on anytime to kind of tell you it is very different than building in any other yeah, so, language or blockchain. So isn't that it's kind of counterintuitive as well? You know, you say, oh, well, just let's see you build something on that chain first. Well, well you know, there's a lot of advantages to Plutus, right? That they're going to be missing out building on that other blockchain in the first place. There is, but these teams are already committed to that. Like, you you can't be like, you know, oh, you guys should scrap your other plans to build another. It's like, okay, let's actually just see. If they're saying they're going to, you know, be a multi-chain solution and they're going to deploy on chain X right now and then come to Cardano in the future, okay, let's actually see them deploy on chain X to, like, get some notion of what their capability is to actually get something, you know, built and kind of production ready. That's what I mean. I, I don't, yeah, I obviously would encourage anyone to always take Plutus first as the option. Yeah, so um, Plutus you know, is we at were, the top of the hierarchy. And it's like, if you're going to build 100%. something, at least have something built instead of just doing an IDO and collecting funds, you know. Exactly, absolutely. And if you're going to do that IDO, collect funds, great. But like actually do that and like, you know, have a product that you put out there, you know, have a yeah. system that's functional on that blockchain. And there's, there's projects and protocols that do that all the time. And they actually build really good products on Ethereum and then they migrate them to Binance Smart Chain for the lower costs and fees or whatever have you at the cost of decentralization maybe. But, you know, they do that and successfully deploy on both chains. And now you have, you know, a product that works across chains or you're using Polygon or something else. That's great. That's fine. I'm just saying, like, why, why not? If you're a team that hasn't even deployed it yet on that first chain, why not just build it directly on Cardano at that point? Like you'll save yourself so much time and heartache and you'll build it right the first time rather than like trying to build something in a different blockchain and then try to like do this really difficult, almost like translation into the Cardano extended UTXO model. It's just so different than trying to build an account space solidity or rust that it and doesn't even that's make already sense saturated to as well. That's that. why it doesn't make sense to me. You know, the market's already saturated. Yeah. So why build it on Ethereum? And say you're going to build it on Cardano when you have this completely open market where Solidity, or not Solidity, but Plutus was just released, right? So right. you are having, you know, your first to start essentially, right? So why try to build a different product on a different chain? And I, I right. like that you brought up, you know, that there's 12 different people building swap protocols, right? Um, I have seen emails um, from, you know, swap protocols where they're selling their tokens at a $50,000 minimum, you know, and these people work accredited investors, but it's still like, is that, 
you're, you're making a token out of thin air. You're selling it for $50,000, you know, to people that you're emailing. And I'm talking to these people and I'm saying, you know, there are 12 protocols that I know of that are all doing a similar thing, you know? So what are the odds of the protocol that you invest in actually succeeding? It's low. It's like the ICO days in the past, right? Cardano is going through a period where, you know, a lot of these projects will fail. And you, you mentioned also invest in the founder of the protocol, you know, of the 12 projects, there's some, some good ones, right? Absolutely. And, and that's what, I mean, Ben Gortzel, for example, you know, I trust yep. that guy. I mean, he's going to, he's going to build a damn good protocol. So, you know, investing in a, in a project that hasn't really done anything yet, they haven't written a white paper. Um, just be careful, you know, who you choose to invest in, you know, there's no financial advice here and just never invest more than you're willing to lose because we're heading into some risky times and, you know, people have made some good gains off of ADA and, you know, they're looking for their next one, you know, and I think ADA is a gem that it's not often that you find something else, you know. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's DEX protocols. I see the MinSwap guys. I see the Damon Exchange guys. There's teams that I think are going to build some amazing products in Cardano and already are building and, you know, almost ready to deploy the testnet. Not too different than Liquid. Um, you know, some will do really well. Some won't do so well. But I think at the end of it all, like, you, and you kind of said this in a tweet the other day, Big Pay, it's like we're at this, like, watershed moment where the wave of, like, adoption for Cardano is going to be, like, Really, the products that are being built six months, you know, after Plutus is deployed on mainnet, right? So, yeah, you deploy your V1 protocol and your contracts, but what are the upgrades? What are the things that you use the Plutus application framework to do? How do you integrate Atala Prism? What are, like, you know, the composable products that you build on top of your base system that really, you know, take your user growth and kind of adoption of your system to the next level? You know, that's what I'm really looking forward to getting to. And I think that it's, we're only a few months out. So it's just like, it's super fascinating and exciting. Yeah. So there's two more things I wanted to talk about before we hop sure. on here. Yeah, man. Um, fair token offering. You know, yeah. what is that? Yeah, absolutely. Fair token. And we kind of hit on this earlier saying everyone in the system gets to provide liquidity and earn LQ at the same exact time. Right. So there's no VC or early investor who steps in and gets to, you know, purchase at a, you know, 10th of the price yeah. that we so, set it to. So you can't email people like that are accredited investors <laughs> and sell for $50,000. No. Exactly. No. Yeah. There's, there's no token sale. There's no pre-sale happening. No ICO idea. This is saying we're going to release a series of contracts at V1 launch. One of them will allow you to take those Q tokens that you've minted in our system, stake them, you know, deposit them, but we call it a staking contract and earn LQ each epoch based on how much borrower interest is repaid in your market. Um, simple calculator will determine it all for you and show you kind of the rates that you're earning each epoch. Um, and that's how the distribution function will work. And that's, that's kind of what we mean by fair token launch. And when that liquidity event will kick off, it's at the launch of the system on Plutus mainnet. Yeah. And, um, what do you think of the, you know, the newly released ISO model, you know, um, Sunday swap was the first to introduce it. Um, but I think they kind of just, you know, let the genie out of the bottle with that. And I think we're going to see, you know, many funding models in the future, uh, that or ISO. Yeah, I think it's actually really cool. I think it's interesting. Um, you know, we, we kind of committed to a route that I think is probably more similar to what you see Ethereum DeFi protocols do with like a yield farming launch, or you see a lot of Binance Smart Chain DeFi protocols do a similar type of approach. Um, I think the, the ISO route has, you know, some major implications, especially when combined with like Babel fees and some other things. 
stakeholder operators really enter the, the the chat of like almost being mini VCs themselves. And if they can, you know, essentially, in my opinion, you can have like, there's no real need for, you know, a launch pad to exist if you have direct connection from DAP protocol founder to stakeholder operator who plans to kind of support them through the ISO model. Um, the, the launch pad kind of gets kind of taken out. They're like a almost a third party middleman of necessity right now. But when this model goes live, if you have a real system that connects, you know, the big pays and the UBEDs and the other kind of really competent and operating at scale stakeholder operators with the upcoming DeFi protocol founders who want to distribute their token, you just, you know, as a service, you run ISO as a service. And now the users themselves who want to invest in these protocols can just, you know, we call it APIN in Ethereum DeFi, but you're just aping into staking with them. So you're just delegating your ADA and then you're earning the token. So it's a much, in my opinion, more favorable solution for the end user who wants to earn their governance token. I it's think less, it's, it's less equitable. risky as well. You know, it's less you're risky, only 100%. losing your rewards, you know. Exactly. 100%. So yeah, I think it'll I think it'll take off. I think it's super cool. Not not, you know, anything that we're planning for liquid at all. Um, we get asked that almost every day now when ISO, it's like not that's not something that we're going to do at all. Um, but really exciting to see that kind of take off. And I, I hope the mint swap guys, you know, build a standard around that. So we'll see. Yeah, or the Sunday swap guys. Sorry, Sunday swap. Yeah, I didn't know if they Nobody were doing swaps. it as well. I, I yeah. believe you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the last thing I want to talk about was, you know, your governance. And yeah. um, one of the questions I have with that is, you know, how do you get a new token added to, you know, Liquid? Yeah, great question. Um, so that's called um, market initiation in our system. And essentially it's, it's through governance. Um, a user can propose it, um, any user who holds LQ, um, who holds over a certain defined threshold of LQ either outright or delegated to them. So kind of the same way you delegate to, you know, Bloompool, for example, um, that user can introduce a proposal to add a new token, whether that token is, you know, Ergo, you know, Sigma USD, AGIX, any token that's not already supported on Liquid but is a Cardano native asset, that user can introduce the proposal on chain to say basically there's a formal voting period to begin saying, Yes, no, do we want to add this token into the list of supported markets? Um, with that though, the user has to select all the parameters such as the collateral factor, the liquidation bonus, if there's going to be a hard cap on that, um, all the functions that you would select for a new market that you create, that user has to kind of include those, the actual interest rate model, what that's going to be, whether it's a stable coin or a crypto like ADA that differentiates it once that's happened and the votes occur, if the threshold is met, so um, over, I believe the threshold is, I wanna say like 2% of total LQ actually meets the qualm and votes on that proposal. If over 50% of it votes yes, then the actual token is added as one of the supported tokens. And as soon as it's included, users can begin supplying it. Users can begin using um, you know, the Q tokens as collateral or borrow that asset. Um, so that's kind of how that process works and tokens can be delisted as well. So the same market initiation process, there's also a governance control process for token delisting as well. So it's, uh, it's all kind of controlled through the DAO and the LQ token holders are the ones who propose, um, these, these, you know, different ideas, whether it's just to change the parameter or whether it's to create um, a new market for a new token or to delist a current existing token. 
these are all kind of proposals that get introduced on chain and then voted on and then executed all from the governing smart contract itself. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Um, is, you know, how can someone participate in liquid? You know, if they see this podcast and they're inspired by yeah. it, you know, um, how do they participate? How do they stay up to date as well? Yeah. Great question. Um, we're actually spinning up right now, a forum, um, you know, dot liquid dot finance, and that'll just be for handling governance and kind of some of the issues that we talked about today and some of the proposals that will flow through the process of being a liquid LQ holder and user. Um, that's really a great place to kind of get started for new users. And as soon as that goes live some point at the end of this week or early next at the latest, we'll, we'll definitely drop a link to that. So, you know, new users can come and join and keep up with what's actually happening on the governance side. Right now, I would say following us on Twitter, um, joining our Discord, which is in our you know, Twitter link bio, um, will be a great place to join the community, you know, keep up with all the happenings and all the development updates. Um, we post them there. We post actually our weekly status updates to Reddit, to the Cardano forum, as well as Twitter. Um, so, so most users who are, you know, in and around the Cardano space and are following us on Twitter and can join our Discord, will certainly be able to, you know, keep up with all our updates and and as soon as something new is out there, they'll be the first ones to know because those are our official channels and we post all of our news there. Okay. Yeah. And, and for people still wondering, how do I buy LQ? The only way you can get it is when the protocol actually launches in the August or September. Are you guys going to launch, you know, cause you can write the, the smart contracts now, right? Yes. Yeah. So we can write the contracts now. It's just deploying them to like Plutus mainnet. Is something that is obviously dependent on Plutus being on mainnet and you know having that hard fork event actually having take place already. But yeah, the moment after Plutus hard forks, we can essentially deploy our contracts. Cool. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today, man. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? No, this is great, Big Pay. Man, thanks for having me. We're just uh, we're just two Florida men now, you know, just roaming around. Good to <laughs> yeah, uh, two it's good Florida to be men. Here, man. <laughs> You're right, yeah. man. Hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> we can catch up in Miami next time, man. Yeah, no, definitely. We, we certainly will. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning into this podcast. If you made it so all the way till the end, make sure you comment liquid down below. If you do enjoy it, make sure you click that like button. If you're not subscribed, I'd appreciate it if you also click that subscribe button. We do these podcasts once a week. I usually post them on Wednesday. But again, thank you guys so much. I hope you have a good rest of your week.